Carly's going to speak to us. Let me just pray because I need to settle. Jesus, I love you. And I can't believe I get to do this. I humble myself before you. This precious, precious word. And I just pray you to bless me and bless us as I open it this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning, we're going to meet a guy called Zacchaeus. And you might know Zacchaeus already because it's a classic Sunday school story. I spent the last week with him and I really like him, so I want to introduce him to you. And we're going to do three things. We're going to get to know him and look at his curiosity and his use of an opportunity. We're going to hear from an old friend of mine who's got some really good top tips for us. And we're going to, this is the big one, we're going to apply everything that we've learned so that we walk out here changed by the word, which I believe happens every time you read it, and change the world. So who's up for that? <laughs> Great. So where's Den, my lovely reader? No one can read like Den in this church, I don't think. So let's hear Den. Luke 19, 1 to 10. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was. But being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter. He's gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save what was lost. So you'll only find Luke. Luke liked a very orderly way of doing things and he recorded Zacchaeus' story for a reason. It's amazing that his story's in the book at all because lots of people got saved. Lots and lots of people got saved. But for some reason, Zacchaeus' name is in the Bible. His story was recorded by Luke. And I think it's because extraordinary grace was shown to him. He was a rich man, and he was an outcast man, and he was experiencing outrageous grace. Now, Jericho was really busy, really prosperous, it was a major toll place. Tariffs and customs were all collected there as things were passing from east to west. And it was a really good place to be a tax collector and very easy to be super rich. He didn't have to cheat, but he did. So he wasn't just rich. He was really, really rich. He, he, he worked the system for his own personal gain. At this point, he's not a nice person. He's not popular He's a chief tax collector. No one else in the Bible is called a chief tax collector. So he was in authority. He must have had people working under him. He was influential. But again, no one liked Zacchaeus. 
not the people who he belonged to, the Jews, and probably not the Romans, except for what he could provide them with. Jews didn't like Zacchaeus. They didn't like tax collectors in general because they were considered traitors because they worked for Rome, turncoats and cheats. I don't know if you can think of anyone in our culture who's unpopular for those reasons. <laughs> I'm not going to put names in your head, but just think of, just think of someone or think of a group of people who would be considered turncoats, traitors and cheats. They're not people you'd have round for tea. But Luke quite likes tax collectors. If you read the whole of his gospel, he talks about them quite a lot. He talks about them becoming baptized. He talks about how they ask Jesus, how do we do this job and follow you? And he tells them, you do it honestly. He doesn't say, don't be a tax collector. He says, do it honestly. We hear about tax collectors sharing meals with Jesus. So Luke hasn't got a problem with them. And I wonder how many stories of these meals with Jesus, how many of these different ways of doing work life, I wonder how much of it is filtered through to Zacchaeus. I wonder how much he's heard on the grapevine about this man, Jesus. I don't think he would have been friends with many, so it would have all been whispers and rumours and through the grapevine. In Luke 18, just the previous chapter, there is the account of Jesus saying how difficult it is for a rich man to get through the eye of a needle. And I quite like words and language. And another word for camel is rope. And that helps my head. I think when people say it's really hard for a rich man to get through the eye of a needle, like a camel getting through the eye of a needle, I think well, that's ridiculous. But a rope, ah, now that makes more sense. I mean, I can't see well, and I can't sew. So if I try and do this with a piece of thread and needle, it's a disaster. But a rope and a needle, well, that's never going to happen. So I think this follows on really nicely, this story of this Zacchaeus, rich man, after this story of how impossible that is to know Jesus and enter the kingdom of God. So some of you might have switched off already because you might be thinking, well, I'm not rich. Well, my dad's definition of rich is being able to have a cup of tea whenever you want one. Okay? Because you've got electricity, a tea bag, some milk, and a comfy sofa. So if we, if we could all have a cup of tea in the room, then I think maybe we can all say, oh, we're rich. I feel, I feel really rich because I've got a lovely family. So your definition of rich might change, but in this, this is definitely a situation where this man is rich and he can provide for himself, he can pay all his laws and his tithes and his taxes, and he's happy, he's secure and he's safe. Is he happy? I think we'll find out. Because Zacchaeus, although he's rich, is an outcast. And when he meets Jesus, he encounters this incredible grace, incredible mercy, and incredible compassion. But in order to meet Jesus, he had to kindle his curiosity. Because one thing Zacchaeus isn't in this passage is passive. He's, he's curious, and he makes an effort to meet Jesus. So what is curiosity? When I typed in what is curiosity, 
it came up with this. It's a car-sized robot robotic rover exploring the Gale Crater on Mars for NASA. <laughs> Who knows about that? I mean, that's just not the sort of thing that interests me, but that might, you might know that, and that might have been the first thing that you thought too. The other thing I secondly thought was, oh, did it kill the cat? I loved Curiosity Killed the Cat when I was a teenager. Anybody else confessing to that particular sin? It's really annoying. At that concert, my friend fainted, so I missed half of it. But what it really is, is a strong desire to know or learn something. It's an inquisitiveness, an eager wish to know or learn something. Curiosity is quite precious, actually. And lots of us switch it off. Children are really curious. That's why it takes ages to go anywhere with them. I walked up the road with Levi once. Honestly, it took, it wasn't a long, long way. It took a, it honestly, it took an hour to walk this very short path because everything was interesting. And I was a bit jealous of his curiosity. We switch it off. We need to switch our curiosity on. So Zacchaeus developed this strong desire to see Jesus. He'd heard stories of this man, this man who would sit with the likes of him. This man who taught people who did his job how to do it more honestly. So he had a strong desire to see Jesus. And he was coming to town. He was actually coming his way. This Jesus was coming to Jericho, where Zacchaeus lived. If we can just imagine for a second the burden... Maybe something of the loneliness that Zacchaeus was feeling. Because if you're taught this at Sunday school, you're really quickly given a picture of a tree and a man to draw in the tree. And that's what happened. But why did he climb a tree? If we can just glimpse for a moment how lonely he must have been. He was a complete outcast. He was so lost, and he was so rejected. He's not a comedy figure. He's a real, he was a real person. And real people like Zacchaeus are everywhere. He was short. I haven't mentioned that yet. And unfortunately, it's relevant. He was less than five feet tall. I'm five feet six. <laughs> I'm not really, I'm about five foot five, I think. So he was small, which is about the same as Kylie Minogue or Dolly Parton or Danny DeVito or Napoleon, apparently. And if you're small and you're in a crowd, it's an absolute nightmare. Now, Ian, don't nod at me. <laughs> when you've got children and you're in a big crowd... You can just push them to the front, can't you? When the Olympic torch came through Bakewell, people were saying, push, you know, bring your kids through so you, they could see. And dads had kids on their shoulders. It's not so bad being little in a crowd. But if you're a grown man, you can't do that. If you can't, if you can't get to the front, you just can't see. And crowds gather very easily. I went to London last weekend with my friends, and... We went to the National Portrait Gallery, and we were going past Trafalgar Square, and there was loads of crowds, and they were all trying to see something. And we were really deep, trying to see what it was, and it finished before, before we even got a glimpse of it, and no one knew even what we were watching. And 
We never did find out. But crowds gather really easily, and you can't see unless you're at the front. And the only reason his height is relevant is because he needed to see, he needed to climb a tree. And in order to do that, he risked everything. He decided that he'd gather up his robe, he'd become really undignified, and he would make himself vulnerable, and he would climb a tree. He's little, crowd's big. What am I going to do? I need a plan. Because Zacchaeus, physically and spiritually, has to see Jesus. Jesus doesn't come down the road in a Pope-mobile, waving in his lovely car with his guards all around him. He doesn't come through on a chariot like a prince. He's walking in the crowd, and I, they're probably close. They're, you know, we hear stories, don't we? Who touched me? They're close. They're gathered around him, and he's trying to walk his way down the street with people jostling everywhere. Zacchaeus just wants to see. I don't think he had any intention of being seen. Sycamore trees are short, fat-trunked, loads of branches and loads of foliage. I think he was looking to see. No intention of being made a, made a big deal of. No expectation, maybe, that Jesus would see him. After all, he's used to being on the edge. He's used to being on the outcast side of things. He's used to watching, not being included. I don't think he, for a second, expected to be called by name, Zacchaeus, and then said, I'm coming to your house for tea. I do not think that was his expectation. How did he know his name anyway? Had they talked about him at these meals? Oh, man, you should meet this guy, Zacchaeus. He's bad, heck. He really needs you, Jesus. Had that happened? Or is it just that Jesus is a prophet and he just knew his name? He does know our names. You've heard that this morning. He knows our names. He calls us by our names. And he wildly outdoes our expectations. Zacchaeus is so precious to God. And he is exactly the sort of curious and open-hearted person that Jesus was seeking. So are you curious this morning? Have you come here just wanting a glimpse of Jesus? Happy with that? I'd happy with, be happy with that, just to go and see what happens. Just to go and watch a Sunday meeting. Maybe you are being seen as well as coming for a look. So very publicly, amidst this big crowd, Jesus announces that he accepts Zacchaeus, basically. He says, Zacchaeus, come down here. I'm coming to your house for tea. I must come to your house. There wasn't really a discussion. But then would there be? Because Zacchaeus is experiencing honor. Someone's spoken to him nicely. He's experiencing grace. And he is accepted. Who's this guy? Who's this guy? This is radical. It's hugely controversial. But he is so welcomed by God. This welcome is available to everybody. That's what this story shows us. It doesn't matter how rich you are. It doesn't matter how safe and secure you feel your life is. It doesn't matter how much of an outcast you are. You're welcome. If Zacchaeus is welcome, everyone's welcome. 
And we need to do what Zacchaeus did in response to that welcome, which is get down that tree as fast as physically possible with your robe and everything going on, just to get down, because Jesus is coming to my house. Of course, the crowd grumbled. They always grumble. The crowd always grumble. Who's he? Why? Can you believe what he's doing? They weren't interested, you see. The grumblers, they weren't interested. But but Jesus, Jesus was behaving perfectly in line with his purpose for all mankind. In Matthew 9.13, we're told he came to call sinners. And in Luke 4.18, he reads the scroll of Isaiah 61, proclaiming this, that the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. Because the Lord Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom from the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the day display of his splendor. So Jesus was only doing exactly what he'd already told them he was going to do. He came to seek and save the lost. And Zacchaeus is transformed by his encounter with Jesus in his head, in his heart, and in his actions. He says, I'll give away half of what I own to the poor, and anyone I've robbed, I'll pay back fourfold, which was actually way beyond what you would expect for Jewish law. That was the repayment rate for violent theft. So he was being super generous. He's saying, have it all, God. I give it all back. I, I repent and I'm demonstrating my change of life. Can you imagine the repercussions? The compassion of God comes to one man, and the whole of Jericho would have felt the shockwaves. Can you imagine the local paper? There would have been windfalls left, right, and center. Everyone got their money back. His profession and the way he does his job has changed. He's over people. He's in authority. This would filter down. Everything would change about the way Zacchaeus went about his work. He's going to behave honestly and with integrity. God has people in every place. The tax collector isn't the issue. It was the heart with which he did his work. And we've got people all over this room who are in so many different spheres of employment. God has people everywhere. But the ripples the effect of what's happened here will change Jericho. And Zacchaeus is the camel, the rope, that got through the eye of the needle. The Son of Man came to seek and save that that which was lost. But in order to save, Jesus had to seek. He went to Jericho to seek Zacchaeus. And in order for us to find the lost, we must seek them too. So next week, we're going into Matlock. Phil stands here, and he says, we're going into Matlock. And I don't know how that makes you feel. Uh, Dave Watmore's really excited about it. 
There are others of you who are super, you know, really super excited, confident. Yes, this is me. I can do this. Love it. And I read stories from uh, things that are happening down in Reading in Berkshire where lots of people are being saved through people just chatting on the streets. And I think that is so cool. It's brilliant. And then the elders suggest it, and I think, oh, no. And Scooby-Doo's going to come up again because in my head, I had this picture of when, when Scooby jumped into Shaggy's arm and they're standing in the corner like this. And that's how I feel. That's how I feel. It makes me nervous. I, I do need a Scooby snack. Aren't we having pastry? Excellent. <laughs> there you go. Because the reality is, there are people up sycamore trees everywhere. And they might not realize they're looking for Jesus, but they are looking for love, peace, acceptance, security, rescue, healing, help, and purpose. And there are many, many people who God's preparing for such a time as this. I was Zacchaeus up a tree. And a one word from him, and I scrabbled down as fast as I could. We are just so deceived. We are deceived into thinking the gospel is weak. It is not. It is powerful. We're deceived into thinking people aren't interested. They're just our stories. They won't want me to pray for them. But they're happy. They're fine. They're fine. They're fine. They look really happy. They're fine. We're deceived into thinking that we are not made bold and brave and courageous with the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I've got a video. It's five minutes long. And I think we're in a time warp. How can it already be 12? Anyway, we're going to watch it. Hello there, folks. Greetings from Southampton. Uh, my name's Chris Kilby. I'm the pastor of Life Church down here in Southampton. And I'm an old friend of Chris and Carly Spear and the family from our days in Winchester when we were young and uh, I had hair. Um, of course, Chris and Carly don't age. You'll know that by now. They still look about 18. Uh, sadly, I don't. Um, but uh, I, I, Carly has... Uh, been in touch with me and just asked me to share one or two stories of things that have been happening uh, down here in Southampton and other places that I've been visiting and uh, just to encourage you and to stir your faith. Um, this last couple of weeks have been really exciting. We've been uh, trying out some really old-fashioned ways of sharing the gospel with, uh, with people in the streets, just one-to-one, -one, um, just talking them through uh, uh, what the gospel means and, and leading them to faith and over the last uh, well we, we had an hour um, this last Monday lunchtime and an hour the Monday before and we've seen uh, I think probably over 35 people respond to the gospel and at least 30 of those are for the first time and so it's really encouraging to see that and people have genuinely been very open to the gospel um, do you remember the numbers one two and three but not necessarily in that order I want you to think uh, two, one, and three. And when we introduce ourselves to people, the first thing we say is two. Two truths from the Bible. And they are, did you know that God loves you? And uh, do you know that he has an amazing plan for your life? So we share those two truths with, with people that we meet. And that usually brings a smile to their face. And then after that, we'll ask them one question. And the question is a very simple one. Uh, if you were to die tonight, are you absolutely certain that you'd be with God in heaven? And depending on the answer to that question, the conversation will, will carry on. Uh, but then we tell them three things from the Bible that can help them to be sure of their eternal destiny. Firstly, that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 
secondly, that, that uh, the wages of that sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And thirdly, we share verses with them, uh, the whosoever verses or whoever, you know, whoever believes on the name of the Lord would be saved or, or um, whoever believes in him won't perish but will have everlasting life. And so having shared those, we, we just pray for people uh, and invite them to receive the gift of God, forgiveness and eternal life. And incredibly, one after another, people have been coming to faith in Jesus. Uh, and the most amazing thing is it, that I've seen people over the last few weeks just filled with joy as they have. I had one, uh, a pair of young women who said to me after we'd spoken to them, uh, you've made our day. <laughs> uh, and it was just thrilling to know that the gospel had borne such fruit. Um, so sometimes we're seeing people come to faith very quickly. But I want to encourage you as well that sometimes persistent prayer also uh, brings fruit. Uh, 24 years ago I became a Christian uh, and I'd had a friend for about four years called Peter prayed for Peter for many years since I think Peter's attended probably four or five alpha courses that I've run uh, uh, he's been a long-term friend has uh, been through a couple of difficult uh, relationships and uh, really hasn't found his way in life yet he's remained a friend through all of that and uh, on the 1st of May Pete arrived at the church on a Sunday and I wasn't preaching a, a gospel message I was just preaching and teaching the church really from the story of the woman at the well uh, and I was explaining to the church how we can sometimes find our satisfaction in the wrong places uh, and drink the wrong kind of water whereas Jesus offers the living water and for some reason after 24 years the message that I preached on that Sunday touched my friend's heart and he gave his life to Jesus that day and uh, I don't know who was most shocked, him or me, uh, but it was thrilling to see. Uh, and so I want to encourage you that those of you that have been faithful with your friendships for many years have friends and family who are still far from God. In a moment, just one moment, that can all change. But I also want to encourage you that there is a thirst. There is a thirst. The harvest is plentiful. There are people everywhere who don't know Jesus. And with the political situation shifting, economics shifting, even our pop idols and stars seem to, um, I don't know, we've, we've lost so many to different diseases and illnesses and over the last year or two. And the things that people put their trust in are just disappearing. And I think God is doing something in raising up a new hunger in people. And there's an openness to the gospel. The, the harvest really is plentiful. It's the workers that are few. And so I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you whenever you can. Connect the gospel to the friends that you have. But also reach out to those who you've never spoken to, never met. Because they are searching for the water of life. And you could be the one to give it to them. So God bless you in your endeavours. I hope this will prove helpful for you. Keep pushing on and uh, look after Chris and Carly for me. Otherwise I'll be up to get you. God bless you. Bye-bye. Yes, please. I won't go over what he said. I'll write it into note form and we'll send it through the community group notes, even though we're not meeting, because they're really helpful pointers just in everyday life, not just Sunday. It just that really helps me. It's simple. I can remember that. 
So and we know Zacchaeus well enough now to know his responses to those questions, I think, which I quite, kind of find exciting. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost, to bring salvation, eternal life, and the kingdom of God. We have been anointed to proclaim good news to the poor, proclaim liberty to the captives, sight to the blind, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. We're anointed to do all of that incredible good stuff. And it's true of Matlock, it's true of Southampton, it's true of everywhere. People are thirsty and there is a harvest. There is a harvest. Some people will be cold and unquestioning, but there are people that God has prepared. This is Sunday next week. This is every day in our lives. There are people whose hearts are open and prepared, and it's our joy to walk into that. It'd be so encouraging to find pieces of treasure. I don't mean treasure hunting necessarily. I mean those hearts that are open and just waiting to follow God. There are three questions, really, that I wanted to ask you in summary. I wanted to ask if you're curious about Jesus. And if you came here this morning looking for a glimpse of him. If you did, just chat with the person that you came with, or me, or Neil, or anybody at the front. I'd love to talk to you. But chat with the person you came with, and just ask them how you can see more, how you can hear his voice, and how you can be called down from that tree. Because Jesus really is keen to come to your house today. Second one is, is your heart a little bit harder than you would like it to be? Just be really honest with yourself and say, is my heart responding in a way that just reveals how hard it is towards the lost? There's no guilt in that. There's no shame in that. It's just an admission to make. Because a tiny measure of the compassion of God, what he feels for the lost, can soften your heart in just a moment. And your heart can change, and it can become soft. And if you want that, then come to the front, and we can pray for you to have a dose of compassion, and for your heart to be softened. And lastly, Paul could say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. And if you want the kind of courage and boldness that is required to say that, to live that, and to communicate that, then again, come and we'll pray. Because there really are people everywhere up sycamore trees. There really are. I was what, one. If you, you, were you guys up a sycamore tree at some point in your life? It's such a joy. It's such a joy to find the lost. So that's, that's the three things, really. If you want a glimpse of Jesus, if your heart's heart and you need a measure of the compassion of God, and if you need the courage and the boldness to be able to stand up and say, yeah, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Amen.